I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Every second person in Pakistan has a smartphone. It tells you everything about you. Proxies on your financial data, your behavior data, your social demographic data, your geographic data. So we actually started developing algorithms studying this data. On the basis of that, we started LinkedIn. According to some numbers from Findex, only 21% of adults in Pakistan had access to a bank account in 2021. I don't want to stoke any regional rivalries here, but that's compared to 53% in Bangladesh and nearly 80% in India. So clearly, there is a need for some change. My guest today, Noreen Haidt, is one such change bringer. Noreen is the co-founder of Taze, now Zoodpay Pakistan the country's first digital lending platform. They are providing the unbanked and underbanked with access to easy, affordable and reliable financial solutions that fit their lifestyles, especially as those lifestyles embrace more and more e-commerce. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Noreen Hyatt, you're the co-founder and CEO of Tez Financial Services, now also Zoodpay Pakistan. Welcome to the show. You know, if we talk about the subcontinent, India gets a lot of the, the headlines, but I haven't yet looked at lending space in Pakistan. So I'm really quite interested in learning about what it was looking like and primarily what the changes are happening, what the future looks like for consumer credit in the country. Thank you so much for having me, Brendan. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you on a topic that's really close to my heart. So, you know, the journey to starting this, to be honest, I never thought, you know, I'd be getting into entrepreneurship. That was never the plan. The plan was always to bringing impact and working towards a purpose. So, you know, just to give you some background, the microfinance sector was created in Pakistan back in early 2000. And the mandate of the sector was to alleviate poverty. You know, a lot of criticism was actually sought on the sector for having very high interest rates. But when you actually dwell deeper into studying the sector, you understand that the sector is very fee-heavy. Now in Pakistan, you know, at, the, at that time, the numbers were even more bleak. But in terms of bank account ownership, about 20-21% people have a bank account. In terms of credit, it's under 5% of the population that actually has access to formal credit. Um, you know, at that, at that time, it, w- it was even much lower. If you talk about, you know, being on the credit bureau, only one out of 10 people in Pakistan are registered on a bureau. Well, now the numbers are increasing. But, you know, the microfinance sector was actually created with the mandate to believe it poverty and enhance financial services, primarily credit to, you know, the base of the pyramid. Banks don't lend to the masses. Why? Because, number one, there's no data on these consumers. Base of the pyramid consumers do not have suitable collaterals. And many a times, you know, the banks, at least till then, you know, did not have suitable risk rating tools to understand credit or, you know, credit risk. So for microfinance, the models were structured such that it was all field intensive where 
the field officers actually came from the field, from those communities to lead generating consumers, to understand how those consumers behave, more so to be in contact with the consumers so that, you know, it was easier to manage defaults or credit risk. It was not only costly, but it was also time intensive. So on average, you know, it took anywhere between two weeks to a month to give out a microfinance loan. So what happened was that we saw that most of these costs had to be passed out of the consumers. The interest rates, they were higher. Contrary to the belief of a lot of people that the margins of MFIs, you know, the microfinance institutions were higher. Well, they were good margins, but not as high as this, they supposed them to be. So the credit risk was actually managed very well. So the defaults were, you know, lower than 5%. But we thought that this was actually not going to be sustainable if this is how the costs would keep on rising. And it was for the consumer, the average APR was around 45, 50%, which was something that was going to become worrisome in the future. So that's when my co-founder, Hamza, who was also working with me at the credit rating agency, and myself, we founded our first startup, which was also FinTech, to digitize the entire credit disbursement process for these microfinance institutions. And the name of that was Check-in Solutions. And, you know, the focus was to make the process much faster, you know, reduce errors and reduce the costs ultimately. Yeah, it's an interesting point to pick up on because obviously the traditional narrative is that microfinance, where we don't have a good credit data infrastructure, is expensive to the consumer because the risk is high. But actually, before the digitization, it's the process is is so expensive. So yeah, even 5% loss rates are not exceptionally high, but then you see 40-50% interest rates. And some of that, as you say, is margin, but a lot of it is just a really hard to scale process when you have to send an agent out into a village to speak to some people to give a few small value loans and then to head across to another village. And early on, I did a project actually in Ghana with with a bank that was doing their very first rollout of, of digital lending. And we mapped out their processes and it was less agent based. So it was even a better starting point, but it was still the branch manager could sign off this much. And then it went to a committee. And then if it was large, it went to another committee. And then it came down and because it's all paper-based, you know, everybody had to have a supervisor to check they were doing. The supervisor needed a supervisor. And you had this massive process. And we could say, well, before we build a credit score, let's not worry about anything predictive. Let's just implement it in the system. And immediately we can track it. We can get rid of all the, the human errors. We don't need so many committees. And then let's worry about credit prediction in the future. And that saved so much time. And we can forget that, that you know, a lot of the digital processes are saving the money, are reducing risk, not necessarily credit risk, but they're setting the scene for that as well. Yes, that's pretty much how it was in Pakistan as well, you know, where we thought tech was going to be the catalyst for the microfinance sector. But what happened was at the time, you know, the microfinance institutions were not regulated in Pakistan. They were operating under the trust structure. Well, around about that year, the, the SECP here, they introduced new regulations whereby they were required to become regulated. So, you know, I think for them, the focus was number one on the transformation. The digital focus was still, you know, it was still very early, you know. I think we were a little ahead of our times in terms of when we started that first startup. This is back in 2014-15. That's when we actually got in touch with our third co-founder. Then he was Sen, who, who happened to be the founders of the largest microfinance bank in Pakistan at the time. And also, you know, the leading branches banking provider. So, Tamir Bank of Easy Vessel. So that's when, you know, we decided to join hands and with the model of check-in pivoted to a direct-to-Kojima model, where we then got our own license to lend. So Phase became the first fintech in Pakistan to get a digital lending license. 
And we started off with nano loans. These were under $20 loans given out for anywhere between 30 to 60 days. And we actually gave out these loans under 10 minutes for new users, under two minutes for repeat users, using, you know, their smartphone data and doing credit scoring on that. So that's how, you know, they started. Well, the vision was always to be a full stack digital bank, but with time, Forte developed into the, the nano credit consumer lending space. You talked about measuring the credit risks as well as automating the process. What sort of data were you using? How were you building your models to be comfortable in the decision you were making, but still to be doing it so quickly? Well, in Pakistan, then and even now, one of the biggest challenges that digital lenders have is that there's very fragmented as well as scarce data or access to data. The holders of the data are either the banks or the telcos. And none of them are willing to really share this data because they believe that more than being just a custodian, they're, they're the ones who are supposed to just sit on the data, which is something that I think now that understanding is being developed. But, you know, data for the longest time has been quite a challenge. Now, when we started lending with this, it was quite an interesting journey because uh, Pakistan, while, you know, the, the financial inclusion numbers were very bleak, if I talk about when we started, there were about 60 million mobile subscribers. Now there are over 100 million. So, you know, it actually has been growing very fast. Every second person in Pakistan has a smartphone. It's a smartphone. It's actually literally like a digital footprint. It's like a biometric of your, your life actually. It tells you everything about you. It has proxies on your financial data, your behavioral data, your social demographic data, your geographic data. So we actually started developing algorithms studying this data. And on the basis of that, we started lending, you know, from the SMSs, for example, we could find out any financial transaction that happened, that the SMSs actually, they give you that information. So we, we could have developed cash flow statements from the SMSs that the customers received. Anything from, you know, incoming, outgoing calls, what kind of phone someone owns, you know, what, what are the contact affinities. So there's so much that we actually got from the smartphone on the basis of which we developed algorithms. Before we, we started developing our algorithms, you know, we actually had to go into the market and understand how the consumers were lending. Interestingly, when we started lending, over 70% of the people who came to us in our first cohort, they did not even have a bank account. So we literally had these people create bank accounts like mobile wallets. And our first cohort was probably the best part of the learning journey for us because we actually got over 50% defaults on that first cohort. And this is when we went without any credit scoring without even any business rules. Now, we were like, you know, we should actually shut down this business, but this seems to be flunking very badly. And then we we had this conversation with some experts. We, you know, tried to understand what was going on. And in retrospect, it was actually gold for us because that's when we learned about managing fraud the most. We had, you know, a couple of borrowers at the time who were, were literally defrauding the system so well that we actually thought of hiring them at one stage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually quite a journey. And that's when we that's when we started strengthening the business engine yeah. when the tools were developed. And then, you know, the credit scoring engine started taking shape. And over, you know, cohort after cohort, we started bringing defaults down from 50 to 40, 40 to 30, 30 to 20, 20 to 15. And then, you know, the tougher bin came because it was not only about the credit scoring. It had to be a lot of engineering then. It's about the experience of the consumer. How is the product structured? You know, the first interaction of the consumer with the company till after he or she has repaid, everything matters. How the lead generation happens? How is the customer support interacting with the customer? What has been the experience in app? What is the experience at the point of repayment? You know, if we've seen actually many times if the customer faces challenges in repaying, 
whether or not it was our issue or an issue at the wallet side, the customers could turn rogue. So there was so much to it that we learned over time. And, you know, when we actually closed our lending book pre-acquisition, the latest cohort actually closed at under 3% default. So this was uncollateralized cash lending to the masses. So yeah, it was quite an interesting experience and a lot that we learned from it. And I wonder if your your background maybe primed you a little bit better to understand that this is not the traditional banking model, but an e-commerce type of product approach. Now, I think, Brendan, what also has changed over you know the, the last 20 years is that now consumers have many more choices and they've become a little more aware of their rights as well, where once upon a time, microfinance lenders could have gotten away with stringent recovery practices. Today, you know, they can't even think of because there are regulatory repercussions in them. But also, you know, on the digital side now, with borders becoming more and more um, wiped off, it's, it's interesting how digital is playing a role in the understanding that consumers have. They've become much more savvy. Consumers are very, very sharp in terms of managing digital fraud. While it's not a, not a great thing to be known for, it's still smart. That's become a challenge as well. You know, while we're serving the masses and trying to support the wider good, there are elements within the ecosystem where those challenges come from and that can actually, you know, amplify the risk of loss. You know, you were the first in the market, but have you seen the market start to follow you? And is there a, a general modernizing in, I guess, credit, but more broadly in, in terms of things like access to bank accounts for consumers in Pakistan? So yeah, it's actually very refreshing to see. So see, in financial services, there are different types of services that you're aware. There's payments, there's savings, there's insurance, and of course, there's credit. Now, in terms of payments, you know, payments is, it's a difficult business to grab because the margins are very low in payments. And the cost of infrastructure is usually very high unless, you know, there's already some real railroad that's been set. It has to be a high volume business to start making sense. Now, credit, on the other hand, is a high margin business, you know, if it, if it works, if the model works. So I think a lot of players have now started to understand that. But understanding how to manage default is still an art and a science. While, you know, you have every other player is becoming a fintech and that, that to a lending fintech now because they see the opportunity, they clearly see the opportunity. In Pakistan, you know, you have a 230 million population, over half of which does not have access to financial services in terms of credit, even worse, you know. That opportunity, a lot of people are following, not only local, but also international players are now coming into the market. And you see players entering both the consumer lending and the SME lending space. You know, that's very heartening to see. Nonetheless, you know, I believe that the ecosystem is still not completely ready to be conducive to digital lending at scale. And there are various reasons for this, you know. Number one, of course, the kind of funding that you need to scale it you can't keep on funding a lending business from equity. You know, there have to be sources coming in from debt, for example. In case of banks, deposits, they resolve for that purpose. But debt, on the other hand, is still very difficult, particularly local currency debt. So that's one challenge. Secondly, the challenge of data still persists. The State Bank, Central Bank of Pakistan, is developing a framework for open banking. But, you know, that too probably will take a year for things to actually fall into place till players can actually start using that data because someone will have to actually report to that bureau before you actually can access that data, right? So it's going to be a trial and error. And third, I think uh, players themselves, I think everyone is going to go through their own journeys to learn, you know, how it is going to be for them. I think even for us, you know, there's an entrepreneur ego where you actually have to go through that journey yourself to know, okay, this is how it works. You know, and, you know experience it for yourself. The market is huge. 
the need is huge. And there's no really one single player that has been able to crack the nut or even can because the need is so huge that you need multiple players to be in this, this industry. Yeah, well, let's pick up on that entrepreneur side. We, we talked a bit about the learnings in terms of credit and your risk modeling at Taze, but what's the, the business story been like? You, six years ago that you, you founded the business in a market that obviously has historically had a lot of gaps in there. So a difficult start then, just as I guess you're finding your feet, you've got COVID coming through. So it must have been quite an adventure, but you've done really well in growing the business. So, so what has that experience been like? That's a tough one, actually. The last six, seven years, we've literally been eating, breathing, sleeping days. And yeah, you know, it was, it was actually a roller coaster, you know, because we've experienced some great times and then some very tough times. I'd say this often, when COVID struck, you know, our investors, they were like, it's a very uncertain market. I was in, when was it certain for entrepreneurs? We enter into it knowing, knowing it's going to be uncertain. You never know if succeed in the next years. It was actually the purpose. That was larger than everything, you know. It was larger than the company, larger than the investors, larger than the team. That's what kept us driven, you know. And I think, to be very honest, things were not easy when COVID struck. And fundraising itself had become tougher. I think it was easier for newer companies that came into the space, for companies that had already some traction. For them, it was definitely tough, tougher to raise funding, and that too on the lending side, because it was a risky avenue. But I think we were very fortunate how it panned out with Zoot coming in. And I think it seemed very serendipitous about how ultimately transitioned into Zoot. And I think it was quite a great learning experience for us. We're still learning. You're part of the, the Zoot Pay family now. What does that bring both, I guess, to the business taste there, but also maybe your your ambitions in terms of regional expansion more generally? So Zoot's initial vision was actually, they, they started off as an e-commerce player, and then they won into a BNPL player. It wasn't until the taste deal happened that, you know, we actually learned of the overall vision where they're transitioning more from an e-commerce player to a lending player. So they're now, you know, a digital lending platform for e-commerce versus uh, an e-commerce company doing BNPL, right? So when the deal was happening, both for Hamza and myself, you know, I think one thing that we were very certain of was that we, we want, whatever we were going to set our hands on, it had to have a purpose. And to be very honest, BNPL did not resonate with us a lot because of whatever was happening in the market. So that was something that, you know, we were struggling to embrace. But then I remember Michael, who's the, the CEO and the founder, was, he flew to Pakistan and we had a few conversations with him. And he shared his vision of how, you know, the, the story was actually to bring impact on a wider level, which wasn't only the consumer lending space, but also the SME lending space. And to develop the overall ecosystem. So I think that's when it started making sense to us. One thing that we very strongly believed in is whatever, you know, we want to do, it has to have a longer term sustainable impact. Unfortunately, for most companies started, you know, it, usually the view is very myopic. It's short term quick returns, and that's it. For us, you know, the impact for Pakistan, that's what we always wanted, to have players that can actually build an ecosystem because that's the only way you can sustain and grow, you know, in a market like ours. So I think Zool brought that, the alignment and the visions that mattered, the impact story mattered. And then most importantly for us, in terms of the deal, what mattered was how the team was going to get absorbed into the overall global team. That actually brought us a lot of comfort. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, we actually literally hit the ground running because now the focus is the enablement of the SME to bring, you know, the SME online for e-commerce and then propel SME lending and then traction for the SME via BNPL on our own marketplace. That ecosystem in Pakistan, now in Pakistan, it's something that we did not have at the time at Thades. And we understand the strength of that ecosystem because it helps you not only manage a consumer journey, but also the defaults. So that's, you know, something that we're really excited about. And um, Zood right now is in six countries. Uzbekistan is where they started from. So Uzbekistan, Jordan, Lebanon, Kazakhstan, Iraq, Pakistan. These countries themselves have huge potential. We right now have 10 million users globally. And so we're concentrating on what we have right now. This time right now, well, it's not the easiest of phases to be in for any company. Uh, so the focus is to remain relevant and to remain alive. And of course, grow in a very smart and sustainable manner so that you know we can then build a foundation where we can then grow on in the later years. I don't know Pakistan as a market very well, but I'm from South Africa and you know, talking to a lot of the lenders there during COVID, there was a huge push towards e-commerce. And we saw that in the UK as well, but it wasn't in terms of the kind of mindset that big a change. It was just more people did their groceries online and things, but they were already familiar with the Amazons and, and, and things. Whereas South Africa, we saw a lot of new people going on to e-commerce and this big boost to lenders who, who could understand that. And I imagine Pakistan's in a similar position where to be able to allow both of those really important industries to grow simultaneously and together, yeah, I think is a big, uh, a big win. Noreen, if we talk about, as you say, you, you've got a lot, of, a lot on your plate at the moment, a lot of focusing on, on getting that settled and, and this market in Pakistan, which has so much potential. India gets a lot of the headlines, but obviously Pakistan also a huge market, and as you said, very untapped. So if people are listening and they want to learn a bit more, they want to do some more research, into the Tay story or follow you as Zoodpay now, where are the places they can go to connect with you or to see what's happening in that space and keep a track of that story? We have a website. Now, Tay is rebranded as Zood. You can contact us through our website. We also have our emails where you can contact us. Firstly, you can approach me on LinkedIn, Noreen Hayat. You know, you can see my spelling. Uh, so you can reach me out and I'd be happy to share whatever you you'd like to know more on the story. Great, thanks. Yeah, I'll add those in the show notes as well. But yeah, I guess the Hyatt uh, Hotel brand probably confuses people. So your, yours is with the one T. But yeah, thank you very much. As I said, like it's not a market I knew well, but one that as soon as I started looking at just seems ripe for, for disruption. You see, even if you look to the neighbors, to, to Bangladesh, to India, the gap in terms of access to banking is is significant. And 
yeah, 10 years ago, that would have been insurmountable in terms of logistics, whereas now with smartphones, it's not. So yeah, I think there's a lot more to happen in that space. And just overall, a great story in terms of understanding the value of automation, of, of digitizing, the understanding or very quickly learning how to make full use of alternative data and understanding that customer life cycle. I think it's 20, 30 years worth of innovation that's happened in other markets happening just in a, in a couple of years. Thank you so much, Ben. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And, you know, it's great to know you know so much about the field itself. So a lot to learn from yourself as well. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday.